This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as proud as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, very test member, for making our truth journey a reality. And my voice is finally out of the very test intro. It was supposed to be there temporarily and not almost five years. It has now been replaced with my wife's voice. And I think it brings balance and with a new slogan, it encapsulates what Veritas is all about. I hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And if you haven't taken advantage of joining our forum, you are missing out. You don't have to participate or post, but we have weekly discussions of every interview and share news from around the world that you won't find in the mainstream media. All of this and more when you subscribe. And to purchase MMS or any of our seasons on our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with lots of bonus material, visit our very test store. This week marks the 24th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square protests of 1989. And with all the fanfare taking place about Chinese President Xi Jinping visiting the United States this week, I decided to call the People's Republic of China's Embassy in the U.S. 
to ask why VeritasRadio.com has been blocked or censored in China, as reported by many of our listeners and members living there. I know people in the embassy have more important things to do with their president visiting Los Angeles this week. But let me tell you what happened. First, I called the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C., and either no one would answer or I was given the proverbial runaround, like, please send an email and we'll get back to you, etc., etc. I called a few consulates and I kept asking to speak with someone on the record, and every person claimed lack of English proficiency. They finally transferred me to the assistant to the consul general in Chicago. How about if I let you listen to a summary of what happened? First, you will hear a representative at the Chinese consulate in Los Angeles. So I have a question regarding our radio station being censored in China. Uh, so would you like to send me an email? No. Actually, I would like to speak with somebody on the record as to why our radio program has been censored in China. We have listeners who live in China who are no longer able to access our website. And I would like to speak with somebody about this. So I don't think there is somebody... Maybe, would you like to just send us an email and maybe... No, we, we, we do not send emails. We would like to speak with somebody. Can you refer us to the right person to speak with? Somebody with press relations. Uh, which, 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 which website? Our website is veritasradio.com. So, are we, you sure? Are you sure? I am sure. I am sure. We have many listeners in China who have uh, sent us information that they are no longer able to access our website. Sure, there isn't somebody. And I, I think I need to try to send. To sh so. Uh, well, I try to call. I try. I tried calling the U.S. Embassy, I'm sorry, the, China, the People's Republic of China's Embassy in Washington, and nobody answers the phone. But you know, because the presidency is coming to visit in Los Angeles, so those days, you know, we are very busy, quite busy, dealing with this affair. Oh, so perhaps, perhaps, sure, so should we send somebody on our behalf to ask your president why some websites from the United States are being blocked in China. Should we have somebody ask him when he's here in Los Angeles? Oh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's impossible because you are, you're not. It is an informal gathering. Maybe it's not open to the press. Okay. Okay. Yep, she hung up. I made a few calls before and after that. But then I called the Chinese embassy again, and this time they referred me to the consulate in Chicago. I don't know why. As you will hear, they are either too busy or they don't want to deal with the censorship issue. Take a listen. Where, you are calling from Chicago or where? No, we are calling from Arizona. Oh, Arizona. Uh, that is not my responsibility. Arizona is uh, not within this consulate's uh, uh, consulate area. So that's beyond my responsibility. You okay, but we have a, yeah, we have different. Uh, I, I understand it's your responsibility, sir. But essentially, we broadcast uh -huh. worldwide, and okay. our our listeners in China are telling us that okay. we are blocked. It's just a uh, It's I mean, you you broadcasted uh, on internet. That is correct. Okay. Okay. Well, sir, it seems no one wants to take responsibility. So perhaps. We could send a representative to Los Angeles this week, and we could ask your president, Xi Jinping, directly 
why your country is erecting a new great cyber wall of China and censoring the Internet. Um, okay, I can look, help to look into this matter if you can uh, send me an email uh, detailing some, uh, I mean, what happens, what really happens, so I can maybe uh, have a look. I can send you a picture of exactly what happens when somebody tries to access our website. Okay, uh-huh. okay. this uh, this kind of thing uh, just happened uh Last month or about a month ago? Yes, correct. Month ago, and since then, it's still being blocked. Correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, you can send me some um, uh, information if you if you like. Okay. Uh, my email is at hotmail dot com. Hotmail. Okay. Right. Right. So. Okay. That's not a for. That's not an official email for the. No. This is. No? I think it's better to communicate. Yeah. Okay. Non government. Okay. Anyway. And you're Daniel? Yes. Okay. Daniel, what is your last name? Uh, that's you. Y-U. Okay. Y-U. And what is your title so that I can address you properly? Uh, counsel. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. No problem. Good day. Bye-bye. Okay. Not even an hour after Mr. Yu and I spoke and I sent the email that he requested, our website magically appeared to be available in China once again. You can see the before and after image on our Facebook page or at the forum. Coincidence or not, we are glad to be back in China. But let's not forget June the 4th, 1989, as a quote-unquote defining moment for contemporary China. One of the reasons for the loss of life in Tiananmen Square was ending newspaper censorship. My call, even in a small way, serves to memorialize those who have given their lives for free speech and transparency in Tiananmen Square and everywhere else in the world. And one last thing that I want to bring to your attention. You know how I never recommend or endorse a product or a service unless I try them first, as is the case with MMS. Well, I found something new for you and I think you'll love it. For decades, I've been taking multivitamins. But it wasn't until recently that someone told me, Mel, you realize that what you're taking is synthetic and petroleum-based. In essence, he said, more than a supplement, you were taking a chemical cocktail. I don't want to mention the brand, but I'm pretty sure you all know what I'm talking about, and it's owned by one of the big pharma companies. Also, the dosage of the nutrients are negligible and not even close to therapeutic levels. The forms that the nutrients are provided in are the cheapest and the least absorbable forms. And he went on and on. You get the drift. So the question was, what's the replacement? One word, phytovitamins. I know many of you know what phytovitamins are, but for those who don't, phytovitamins are plant-based and made with certified organic ingredients. 100% all-natural and raw whole food formula. Absolutely natural, no gluten, milk, soy, corn and wheat, and free from artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, eggs, sugar, salt, peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish. I've been taking phytovitamins for a few weeks now, and believe me when I tell you, I didn't realize what my body was missing. I could do an entire show about this and alkaline water too, but I wanted to mention phytovitamins and let you know I did a lot of research trying to find the best source, and I think I found it if you want to buy from them. Go to our main page, veritasradio.com, and you will see the link on the right side that says phytovitamins feel the difference. 
Give them a try and compare. Remember, what you don't invest in your health today will cost you much more in the future. To get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. What is really occurring behind events like Newtown and the Boston Marathon? Any disturbed mind can be picked up and programmed to do anything. Computer games and movies amplify violence to enmesh itself in the inner landscape, and therefore it becomes concrete in the outer landscape. The imaginal is real. There has been a complete dissolution of credible mainstream media. No unbiased, clear reporting anymore. It's gone. We must create a life that is aligned with noble spirit, truth, and authentic conduct. This means hard decision and brutal honesty in what we do, how we do it, and who we do it with. Never envisage any outside agency as having authority over us. The only authority is within. The vigorous de-education program at work in our schools and colleges, conditioning young minds to stop engaging with natural organic human culture and instead position themselves for the corporate workplace and machine culture. The gradual deletion of history, art, music, and literature from standard elementary and high school education. Unless young men and women continue their own self-directed education, they go into the world with no context, no perspective, and no substantial knowledge. No sense of history equals no sense of purpose. And to discuss the science of sacrifice, liberation from control, paying for de-education, and changing reality with will, Neil Kramer is tonight's special guest, right now on Veritas. This is F. William Engdahl, and you're listening to Veritas. Neil Kramer is an English writer, philosopher, and teacher specializing in the fields of consciousness, metaphysics, and mysticism. Kramer has made a lifelong independent study of philosophy, mystical traditions, religion, inner alchemy, occultism, and esoteric world history. He shares his path of transformation and empowerment in writings, interviews, and lectures, as well as giving one-on-one teachings and group workshops. He's a frequent guest on leading alternative radio and internet shows, enjoying international audiences and enthusiastic support. His work regularly features on cutting-edge websites, news portals, and popular television networks in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Europe. Kramer speaks on many fascinating subjects and is renowned for his unique blend of lucidity, empowerment, and authenticity. He travels widely with his writing and teaching work. He lives in Oregon, USA. And his book is titled The Unfoldment, The Organic Path to Clarity, Power, and Transformation. And to buy Neil's book and learn more about his work, visit his website at neilkramer.com. 
And directly from Portland, Oregon, I would like to welcome once again our friend Neil Kramer. Hello, Neil. Welcome back. How are you? Hey, Mel. I'm very, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be with you. How are you doing? I am fantastic. And, you know, I was just looking at, at uh, our shows, and I can't believe this is the sixth time you've been on, on Veritas. So you have a permanent chair here in, in, in our studio, basically. Wow. I didn't realize it was quite that often. Absolutely. Anyways, I was telling you offline that I'm always impressed with you, Neil, because I have never, I'm yet to listen to one interview where you have repeated more or less the same topics. How, how do you keep yourself so fresh when it comes to information? Well, I always appreciate it when I enjoy listening to somebody, a, a speaker or a thinker or a researcher or an artist. I always appreciate it when they do something new and they share new thoughts, new material, new art. And so there's a part of me that's trying to do the same thing for the people who enjoy my work and enjoy what I do. But as as I've, I've said before, I mean, the job of the living philosopher is to look out into the world and then look into oneself and respond to it truthfully. And if you do that, you soon notice that that dynamic, that landscape inside and out is always changing. And so it's not very difficult to do it, really. It's just something that is part of life so i make that part of my work so um it's it's a pleasure to do you know when i when i'm getting ready to interview neil i'm always thinking of how from a very young age i always had questions i oh actually i wanted answers but for for decades i just didn't know how to ask the questions but when you come along a lot of these doors open up and I'm thinking of what's on our radar today. You know, mm -hmm. we've seen what, what happened in Boston, what would happen uh, in Newtown. And I hate to bring this up to many people because a lot of people just want to move forward and forget about it. Well, I don't want to forget about it. I want to discuss it so we can analyze it. And it seems to me that people seem to forget that there are sacrifices. There's, there's the occult. There's the people behind the scenes that may be using ritualistic processes in order to accomplish their goals. Could this be a science of sacrifice, what's happening in front of our eyes? I think it is, um, because we have a, a long history of it, and we have many precedents for it. And we are tempted when we look into matters like this to just think, oh, it's a conspiracy thing, it's a psyop, and there's people in um, special operations outfits and uniforms with equipment, you know, trotting along the rooftops and mingling with the crowds, and you think, oh, right. And you, you just look at it purely from a logistical mission point of view. But um, when I look at Newtown and the Boston Marathon, um, I see ritual and ceremony there. That's what I see. I don't see randomness. I don't see just a military operation. I see something a bit more significant than that. So from my perspective, examining that event, and I have talked to it, uh, I have talked concerning it recently. Um, on that day, let's take the Boston Marathon, which is one that's very recent, April the 15th, um, two pressure cooker bombs go off um, just before three o'clock in the afternoon kill three people and injure 260. And 
just as a matter of putting that into context, on the same day, um, 20 times more people were killed in Iraq and many more people injured. But because they're unusual people far away, we don't really care about that. But in Boston, you know, real lives, real people were changed forever and people were murdered and mutilated and families have been sort of irreversibly uh, changed and affected. And it was, in my view, not the sole result of two disaffected youths or even several disaffected youths as investigations continue. That was part of the caper, but there's more to it. Something else was happening as well. So as well as these two you know, Chechen guys, the Tsyaniev or whatever, however you pronounce it, the the 19-year-old and the dead 26-year-old. There's just so many other more elements to this. And the most impressive one in terms of visuals is what they did to the city, which is essentially shut it down. So the whole city was turned into a sort of set of lethal weapon two, wasn't it, for a few days. And um, it was bizarre, Hollywood war zone. And there oh, was... The, yeah, that's right. And there's the military moving through the streets and emergency services all over the place. And if you looked at that on a television screen and then you had another screen with a movie on, you wouldn't really tell the difference at first. It looked the same and the, the transport system was stopped. Black Hawk helicopters sweeping through the streets and a, a million people told to stay inside. You know, it's quite unusual and as i've recently said elsewhere um the idea that that's necessary to get two guys is nonsense because all um national forces military have specialist kill squads who go out will hunt anybody down anywhere in the world and eliminate them before anybody even knew about it they'd be dead in the sleep in one second so the spectacle of having the city shut down is, as far as I'm concerned, is for effect. So I posit that it is a psychological operation, a psyop, but for what purpose? And I would say that when somebody goes to the trouble to do something like this, there's always multiple purposes. Uh, You have carefully chosen, meticulously profiled individuals who are chosen as these sort of prefabricated terror pawns, and they serve as figureheads for the event. Um, but it also, you are programming social consciousness to manifest terror as part of civil life. Hmm. So not only to expect it, not only to consent to it, but to actually manifest it. So when people start to consider that as part of life, that it's something normal that we just have to put up with, then it becomes part of life. So manifesting with our consciousness, i.e. agreeing to that being part of civil life, is, a, is an enormous magical operation. So the people who engineer these things at the logistical level have no notion of that whatsoever. But the people who orchestrate this thing at a more esoteric level, which we'll come to in a moment, they know precisely the significance of the human imagination in this process because we are led to believe when we're children that the imagination is just a plaything. it's a thing of infancy and it's for artists and musicians and that's about it really and it doesn't really have any place in the world but your imagination 
fuels reality. It creates reality in a very real sense. And the more coherent it becomes and the more consensus is achieved, i.e. when you get two billion people all manifesting the same imaginal object, that object will come into life. It will come into the consensus reality tunnel. So as I've pointed out many times, if you have not just the people on the day who are involved, you know, God bless them, but you have hundreds of millions of people watching this on television being traumatized by it. And, you know, it's an incredible thing to witness when you see, you know, um, not just the dreadfulness of the event, but how they pour over it on television. Um, and you get people like Anderson Cooper inflaming matters by this grotesque sense, you know, sense, uh, sensationalizing of the event. Um, you know, what an incredible, weird thing as part of society. So not only do we have the event itself, but we also have accepted that for the following days it is appropriate for the media to sensationalize this stuff and to go over and over and over and over and to pour over it endlessly. I think that's very unusual. I don't think that is part of uh, normal, um, acceptable civil life. I, th I think that's strange. I don't, I don't think it's okay at all. So when I look at it, you know, I always see these multiple levels of it, and that is, that is definitely one of them. Um, what I would also say is that as well as manifesting terror, you do, you do clearly also get this political strategizing to target new global resources to prolong the capitalist marketplace, essentially. So there is a move going on to go to a different part of the world to get their resources, to establish bases there, to get oil and so on and so forth, there is a necessity for that. And it's not always about the oil, sometimes just having a presence in certain regions. If you feel that there's going to be geopolitical shifts between Russia and China and these kind of places, it's very important to be right in the thick of that before those shifts occur. So sometimes just positioning a couple of disillusioned young men in place can be reason enough to establish an enormous presence there. We've seen it in Iraq, of course, many times. And so there's always layers to this. And I think, you know, one of my roles uh, in my own life, and, you know, I'm happy to share this with anyone who wants to listen, is to add the esoteric layer to this, to say that it's very difficult for me to ignore the fact that harvesting fear, spilling blood as ritual sacrifice, is a very well-established thing that human beings have been involved in, involved in for, I don't know, you know, 10,000 years. And it's a ritual sacrifice for the, for the old gods, if, if you might want to put it that way. So just to give that some sort of um, uh, outline, you know, no dates are chosen randomly for these events. They don't just say, oh, well, let, let's choose next Thursday or let's, let's do it on Tuesday afternoon at half past four. It's very carefully selected for celestial alignment, earth energy grid correspondences, nodal gateways in the planet, and old god ceremonial residence, uh, resonance. So April the 15th, 2013, um, is the 
105th day of the year, and in certain magical numerological correspondences, 105 is associated with subversion and ruin and change. That is an energy con connected with that number. So it's a good number to amplify such things. If you're going to do them, to do it in a 105 resonance will amplify those things, which again is a bit esoteric. I appreciate that. But it serves as a sort of volume dial to turn up any noise that you might create on that day, as it were. Um, but perhaps more significantly than that, April the 15th is also the festival of Ba'ast, which is an Egyptian goddess, a cat goddess. Uh, they used to call them Bastet or Bastet or Ubast, but we call her Bast now. And this figure has been steadily worshipped for the last few thousand years, right? And as with many goddess figures, especially when you're looking at Egypt, you get a lot of conflation of different figures and different characters all kind of melded into one. So you have to be a bit careful about who you're actually looking at. And with this figure, I would say you're looking at a composite of three different entities. But what we do know is that there were these statues of this goddess, the Eye of Ra, originally with the head of a lion and solar, which is male, and then later depicted as cat-headed and lunar, which is female. And that's, incidentally, this stone is where we get the name Alabaster from today, Ba'ast, which is this Egyptian goddess. Critically, she was thought to be the protector of the pharaoh, or you could put it another way, the guardian of the empire. So at a time when the empire is struggling, which it is now, what better thing to do than to offer a public sacrifice to the old goddess? Not just the poor souls who died that day, as I say, but the hundreds of millions of people who were traumatized watching it on television over and over, trauma, pain, agony, grief, sorrow, injustice. What a fantastic way to harvest low resonance consciousness. So, you know, millennia ago, every year on this festival day, April the 15th, people would come together, thousands of them, and they would sing and dance and make merry, and there would be sacrifices. So I don't see any great difference between that and what we witnessed on that day. The same energy was there. The same resonances were there. And as we know from our studies into esoteric conspiratorial origins, Egypt was one of the cornerstones of the empire, this modern empire. And its contact with the fourth density, its establishing of hierarchy, its merging of men and gods, its kingships, its use of technology in normal levels, enormous um, you know, reliance on propaganda and a sort of ongoing um, sublimation of the people. You know, Hence we see that Egypt continues to be honoured in the shadow realms today. So it's a very clear line, that, for me. I don't think that's a stretch. I think that if you put your historian hat on and go through and look for precedents, the Boston Marathon event fits into that very neatly. When we look at Egypt and the obelisks that were transferred or stolen, as I've heard, to the Vatican in London, <laughs> here in the United States, it seems that Egypt is still alive, even when you look at the architecture and the engineering behind the the city of, of Washington, D.C., you see that there's a pre-planned effort to establish something, and perhaps let's call it a cult, let's call it esoteric, but with a purpose. 
And what I find also, Neil, is even September 11th, and I don't mean to undermine what happened on uh, in Boston, whether it was contrived or real, but it was another 9-11 for, for most of the people watching that day. The energy that emanated from the people was energy of fear, energy of sadness, as you say, but it's the ineptitude of those behind the scenes, those people who supposedly were in charge of security. We had, you know, bomb-sniffing dogs. We had plenty of, of police there. And just like in 9-11, supposedly, you know, we had the best military in the world. Look at the Pentagon, the most protected hmm. building in the world, supposedly being attacked. All of this, the ineptitude, we, we are led to believe that, yes, our government makes mistakes, they're inept, and this is why this happens. When in reality, as you said, it's a chess game. We use these two Chechens to, to, to start a game to perhaps position ourselves in areas of the world that we see developing. China and Russia seems to be the powers that are taking over right now, and they're the biggest threat for the establishment. This ineptitude, also another variable in this equation, is the mainstream media, which I call the new ministry of propaganda. There's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a complete dissolution of credible mainstream media these days. The, uh, no one buys clear reporting anymore. It's gone. How, how can we change this tide? Well, the, the first step to wisdom is saying that there's something wrong. So a lot of people, when you talk about... Um, their problem with looking at the Boston bombing, it, it introduces this idea of the bifurcation of the species, the splitting off of true men and false men. And this is an old, an old uh, concept that we see in our sacred texts, in our mystical texts, in our philosophical texts. And the Boston bombing shows that very clearly, that we have two types of people. We have those who want to ask questions about reality, and those who do not. And we have people who witnessed that event and want to know what happened. And we have people who witnessed that event and they do not know. They do not want to know. They have no desire to know what happened. Most people don't want to know. That's a plain fact. What they want is a pre-packaged narrative and they want it easy and digestible. They don't really want to know. So when you have a set of people who are in that mind frame who don't really want to get to change and truth and evolution, then it's very simple to say, look, bad things happen in the world, get over it, move on. That's, that's what most people are, are very comfortable with. Not just thick, stupid, um, insincere people, but also lovely, intelligent, compassionate, warm human beings, our friends and family. That's the problem. That pervasiveness of um, indifference moves throughout the whole system. It's everywhere. It's, it's educated into us. So you have to examine that and say, well, the media, you could say, if you were being very philosophical, are just giving the people what they want, which is um, infantile reporting of... Um, grotesque events and um, there's been many uh, attempts over the years to do a more balanced media way say well let's not just do all bad news let's do balanced news let's do good things that happen creative things unusual things bad things 
painful things and joyous things. Let's let's make that a full spectrum reporting of the news, and that's been tried a number of times. A number of newspapers and you know um, TV programs have attempted to do that over the last twenty twenty five years, and every time they do it, they fail miserably <laughs> because people don't want to know. All they want is sensation and gossip. So it's no different to me than a sort of medieval village where nobody wants to know how happy someone else is. But what they do want to know is how de- desperate somebody else is or how horribly something's gone wrong. So that is a problem to do with um, man's heart, which is, you know, sadly has been that way for sort of quite a while as far as I'm concerned. And that comes to the question of, is man good on the whole or is he is he is he bad because the media would have it essentially that human beings can't be trusted and they're just a wicked bunch and i fundamentally disagree with that and i as you know travel quite a lot and on the whole here's my here's my report people are good right and that and that hasn't enormously changed for me in the last 20 25 years that's still the same message so when you have uh, a media portal and you have all those millions of dollars that go into it you have a tremendous obligation to uh, put forth not just what happened but also the context of it and if the context is always skewed that really it's just things going wrong every day and business, then that world isn't a very good reflection of the real world. So yesterday, I'll give you an example, I was laying in bed lazily and I got my <laughs> smartphone out, went onto the little Google News app on there. I thought, okay, let's see, let's see what these are saying. And as you know, Google News is a, an aggregator, so it pulls in news from CNN and BBC and ABC and The Guardian and all, all different kinds of sources from all, all around the world. And the news was just war and business. And that was it. That was all the, the, that was said. And that constituted maybe 50 or 60 different headlines that I skimmed across. And it was all that. It was all some sort of conflict and some sort of uh, commerce. That was it. Conflict and commerce. Now, those things don't play any part in my day-to-day life. They are not things that require my consciousness or, dare I say, deserve it. So conflict, I'm happy to say, is not part of my life. Commerce, yeah, I have to buy and sell things and pay the bills a little bit, but that doesn't constitute a very important part of my life. It's a small part of it. So just objectively, logically, considering the news in that manner, it has no relevance to me and how I live and how I am. And I am suggesting to the listeners, if they ask that question of themselves, they might also find that the news has very limited relevance, to put it diplomatically, to anybody. So it's not just a question of the detail and the reporting and the diminishment of uh, unbiased and unprejudiced reporting. It's also context. Is it relevant? Is it actually relevant to real life and real communities, real people, real families? And I don't think it is. And I think it stopped being probably a good while ago, but it's getting more and more obvious now. And I have to say, I'm afraid, I'm usually a great champion of America, but American news reporting is amongst the worst I've seen in the Western world ever. It is for children. It is for children. 
and I find that patronizing as well. So even if I wanted to learn details, that's the last place I would go to learn it. Even, for example, the History Channel, I, I tell the story all the time. When I was there to discuss the WebBot, I was told by the producers to dumb things down. And I've heard that the media does that all the time, but I thought the History Channel being the last bastion of, of <laughs> intellect is telling me to dumb things down. So it is real. The fact that anywhere you turn on the TV, the, the your IQ level will go down. <laughs> But you said something interesting. Programming social consciousness to manifest terror as part of civil life. All you have to do is go to the airport and you open those doors and you're entering Nazi Germany. You're searched, your your dignity goes down the drain, you are you're searched without any 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 type of evidence that you have committed a crime and then Whenever the door opens in your destination, that's when it spits you out to, to society once again. But they want the same procedures to be more uh, ubiquitous in our lives. So they want to implement, for example, of course, I'm referring to TSA and the Department of Homeland Security. They want to do the same thing in train stations. They want to do the same thing in schools, in yeah. bus stations, and even at uh, shopping centers. It's going to come to a point where People will accept that. And the way I see it, Neil, is this is a cancer. And you and I and the people who, who listen to us are the ones trying to fight that cancer. But because strength in numbers out there, we it's not that we're losing, but it's it's an uphill battle for us to combat this cancer that's overtaking our lives. Well, from time to time in human society, uh, people grow in light and knowledge and Other times, they recede into shadow and ignorance, and our spiritual ancestors have observed this process that swings like a pendulum back and forth, and we are certainly reaching what I would say is optimal shadow, okay? Now, the challenging thing about that is that, as you say, you look around and you see the implementation of uh, fascism in America and Britain, and I can attest to that personally, and I'm not speaking figuratively, I'm not exaggerating, that is happening. Uh, but it's happening initially, rather than at a, a legal level, although there are echoes of that, it's happening culturally. So, as you say, it is being introduced into the culture, the idea that um, you are under suspicion all the time. And whatever you do and wherever you go, it's just a lot better for everybody if you show your identity papers and step through a scanner. And that isn't civil human behavior. That isn't applicable to most people because most people are okay. That is something that shows people that there is something wrong with them and there is something inherently wrong with the human species. And I, and I don't buy that. And so I again, have to say that um, when you see terror events, whether they're natural or synthetic or a blend of all of those things, um, you also see an effort to destabilize something uh, quite rare in this republic here, which is your constitution. So the terror events are also harvesting consent for dismantling the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And the First and Second Amendments in particular are absolutely vital to the health of this place. And without the Second Amendment, 
particularly, there is no First Amendment. And there's an enormous difference, and again, I've spoken about this before, between a written constitution, which we have here, and an unwritten one, which we have in England. Uh, a written constitution reasonably represents the people, and an unwritten one doesn't. So, in England, there is a constitution, there is a Bill of Rights, there is the right to bear arms, but you try talking to anyone about that, or you try taking that to a court of law, you try taking that to the authorities and you'll just be laughed at, because it's uncodified, it's not specific and it's not representative of the people. So it's extremely important to understand that, and as we've said before, and it's a very inflammatory thing, particularly for me, where I'm often viewed as a, a spiritual commentator as well as a philosopher, the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, exists to protect people from corrupt government. That's what it's for. And without um, that, I would describe it as a, a sort of potent physical symbol of faith in personal liberty. There is no meaningful relationship between a, a society and its government, a community and its elected leaders. The government ceases to serve the people, which, which in my view is its only job. It's just a very thin and arbitrary administrative layer to say, look, you manage some resources and some relations with other nations and we'll get on with living. That's, that's what you need to do. Go and do it. When that gets out of hand, you end up with something rather different, which is what we've got now, which is this maverick sort of force um, with its own mandate, which is nothing to do with the people. So if you look into the eyes of Joe Biden, Susan Rice, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, look at them very carefully and think, are you a good person? Are you acting with honor? And are you a very good representative of the best of our humankind? Are you fit to serve in this privileged, privileged role of high public office as a servant of the people? And hand on heart, the answer we know is no, they are not. And that's not what they're doing. So that those kind of things have to be understood when you put that in the the, the lens of wondering why nobody's talking about it is because the media are complicit in that. And as we said before, they're not interested in the idea of the Constitution being a relevant force in uh, free politics. They think it's a kind of strange, antiquated, old document that has really no real relevance anymore. You know, let's let's change all that stuff. Let's forget the first and the second and the fourth and whatnot. Let's let's not worry about those things too much. And all I can say to you is, take a look at what's happening in the UK and France and Greece and Germany and Spain and Portugal and Sweden and Denmark and have a think about that. Have a look at what happens when that isn't there. I have to say, I think you and I are purely life-loving people. Yeah. We wouldn't want to kill anybody. At the same time, when we see, and there's, in my mind, there's no question, and this, this applies to the United States, it applies to, 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 to the UK and to many countries, governments have gone rogue, rogue, and they have done it in the past, and they're doing it again. In the United States, 
our federal government was supposed to be here just for a few reasons, just to protect us from enemies, foreign and domestic. And we're forgetting that last part. Mm-hmm. And it has grown to the point of becoming a hydra where people are truly afraid of the government to question it. You go outside to a social gathering and you start talking about this. Immediately, the majority looks at you as if you are subversive, as if you're crazy, a conspiracy theorist. But in reality, you're trying to put back the government that was supposed to be here to protect us, not the other way around. Our politicians have one religion and one religion only, and that's called re-election. They protect the major interests. We can talk about Monsanto. We can talk about the, the big pharma where we have the incestual relationship between, let's say, uh, the vice president of uh, legal affairs for Monsanto, who's now the head of the FDA. (laughs) Well, we have this and we allow it. And when we, some people say, you need to vote. You need to vote because if you don't vote, you're just letting them run away with murder. But if you don't vote, you're essentially (laughs) uh, taking away the consent. Wouldn't that be the truth? You know, that introduces um, the whole question of... uh, true-heartedness and liberation as a personal choice. Um, I don't know about you, but in I think we've said this before on air, that we both worked in the corporate world. Uh, we both have the ability to communicate and do business and transact with the system, and we have uh, made our livings in that respect. Um, and we also have this dual consciousness where we are stern critics of that, and we are starting to realize that it is not it is not right there's something crooked in it and that is kind of like a challenge for us in our own lives and with our friends and family and colleagues and associates and whatnot but it also gives us a very realistic hands-on view of it because as you say we are people who love the human journey the human endeavor and you I have met some of your family and you've met some of my family as it happens. And we, we can look into each other's eyes and we know we're good people. Mm-hmm. We understand that. We know that there is something important that we're looking at here. But that is a personal choice. And creating a life that is aligned with what I call noble spirit, uh, which I don't think we need to explain what that is. I think everybody understands what that is with truth. And whether you're looking at the truth of UFOs or whether you're looking at the truth of Capitol Hill. It's no different. Truth is truth. And also this thing, again, that I often talk about, which is authentic conduct, which is your ability to say, no, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. Or, look, I must insist that this is something I really believe in, I really feel is true. The, our ability to say that, even in situations where sometimes it's difficult, is quite important. But more than the communication of it is the way we live it ourselves, is what are we doing to change things what are we doing to make a difference and you know that means very uh, precise and sometimes tough decisions in our own life a real brutal honesty in what we do how we do it and who we do it with because that that is going to change as you go about these things and as we move through life we realize that it's going to change how we interact with people who used to be okay, who cease to be. So like an old buddy that you would have and go to the soccer game with and think, yeah, you know, we're the best of friends. As you get into this path of liberation and awakening and truth and enrichment, 
uh, that might cease to be okay. Not that there's anything wrong with that old friend, but it doesn't do it for you anymore. It's gone. So I would say that as well as the simple elements like that, there is also, again, a higher element of acknowledging that our own innate divinity, and I use that word quite happily, is the only single authority, and n nothing outside of that should ever be considered as... Uh, an agency that has authority over us, like when the policeman knocks at our door and we go, <gasps> you know, what have I done wrong? You know, what, what's going on? Oh, God, you know, this is the police are at the door, you know. There is no authority outside ourselves. There isn't. There is only administration of things. The only authority truly is within. So these ideas, these concepts are the first stages to liberate, liberating ourselves from these systems of control. And I put a very like a very simple um you know mark down for this to have a look at how this works in real life and i would say that making conscious growth um the benchmark for honor in ourselves and our friends and family and everything is a really good idea so you say well when we say honor isn't that a very you know nebulous term well it's it's about growth. It's about understanding that you are consciously refining yourself and trying to be a better man, a better woman all the time. And I can see that in people, and you can see that in people. Everybody, we can all look each other in the eye. As I said before, if we look at our politicians or our celebrities or our media people, even though we may only look at their eyes through a screen, when we look at them, when we observe them truthfully, do we see conscious growth in those people are they choosing to refine and cultivate their spirit I don't think they are and I think that's plain to see so that leaves us with a situation where the people on the screens and on the newspapers are not representative of us so I have to say that um, it's very important to understand that the path of awakening the journey of this soul cultivation is inherently on earth an independent one it's absolutely a solo journey and any political religious or social doctrine or dogma or piety we could even say that might be restricting the individual must be cast off it must be sent away so you ask the question of voting should we vote well if you withdraw your vote you also withdraw your consent hmm. you reclaim your power and you, do, you can do something else with it. Because voting, any vote, is a vote for the system. Any vote is a vote for the system. Not voting is withdrawal of consent. So we have to understand that the dynamic of what is consent can switch around. So if you just live a lie, you know, there's a, there's a little phrase that I used to sometimes say, depression is living a lie. And whenever we do that in our lives, we create depression, sometimes a little bit, sometimes chronically, and it can kill us, literally. Um, that sort of self-deception cannot go on and on and on forever. So we have to start to look at these serious questions. And sometimes silence is consent. So if we do nothing and say nothing, that means yes. And at other times, uh, we have to withdraw our energy and say, look, you're not having my energy. You're not having my consciousness because this isn't at somewhere that is worthy of it. I will enter into any discussion, any agreement, any argument that is based on conscious human organic principles of growth, of morality, 
of ethical conduct, of all those things, but not with people who are inherently dishonorable. I can't do that. So although it pains me, I have to consider the fact that what I thought was a vote in a free democracy to exercise my duty that our fathers have died for in wars isn't actually what I thought it was. It isn't that, and I don't think it ever was. It's something else. And that is the journey of this path, that all the most fundamental foundations, the cornerstones of our society are not what we thought they were. That is why people don't want to know, because they get a suspicion of it and just think, hang on a second, if nothing's the way I thought it was, what the hell am I going to do? How am I going to go to work and actually sit in the office and do it seriously? How am I going to talk to the family? How am I going to speak to my mother? <laughs> How am I going to talk to my brother-in-law about the, uh, you know, the New York Giants performance last year? I don't think I can seriously do that anymore. You know, you mentioned depression, and I've always said that if you're depressed, you're living in the past. And if you're anxious, if you have anxiety, you're living in the future. But we only have today. But this leads me to the, to the quote from George Santayana, those who forget the past are, are doomed or condemned to repeat it. And one thing I wanted to, to mention when we spoke about the First and Second Amendment, I don't live in, live in fear, but I do have concerns. I do have the concern that if I do not protect the Second Amendment, my First Amendment, this microphone, these airwaves or, or cyber waves that you're, you're receiving from Neil and I today may be a thing of the past. And all you have to do is look at our history. And it seems that schools, the educational system these days, is trying to rewrite history. Because if you look at how things panned out in the past, how the same situation that we're going through here happened in the past and it turned to the worst, you'll know that you have a responsibility to act upon it to prevent it. At the same time, the media is telling us that everything is fine. And when you talk to people, they say to you, Mel, please, you really think that the government will go rogue on you? Just look at what's happening, even the media right now, with the situation with the IRS going after conservative groups. Look at, at what's happening with the media, even the government looking at the record, at the email records, phone records for media representatives. You would think that they're acting in collusion with each other, an incestual relationship. There are people intermarried between the White House and CBS and CNN, etc. But... The main concern is that they're trying to wipe out our history so that people don't suspect that what's coming happened in the past, Neil. Well, it's George Orwell, isn't it? It's the Ministry of, uh, you know, correction and information and all these kind of spooky entities where there are people working to uh, shorten people's ability to focus, to shorten people's attention span and to shorten one's sense of history. So I would say that um, there is a, a very vigorous de-education program at work in our schools and colleges, and I'm, I'm afraid to say there has been for the last 70 years at the very least. It, you know, it used to be that um, certain places like Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Princeton and Yale were were representative of excellent education that that is not the case and i would say personally it never was but these places what they do is they condition young minds to stop engaging with natural organic human culture and instead they position young men and women for machine culture 
for reproduction and ignorance. I mean, think about it. I was talking about this with uh, my wife the other day. You know, we, we teach kids to establish a home, to work, to marry, and to have children of their own, and then to teach their children the same identical things. And then they go out and establish a home, and they work and marry and have children, and on it goes. What for? For what purpose? Why are we doing this? What is? What are we actually doing there? There's nothing being achieved other than a reproduction, as far as I can see. Why? Do people ever stop to think about that? Or do they just repeat it because that's what their family did? So you have to examine the very foundational thing. What are you doing when you're sending your kids to school? What is that for? Because it isn't for education. There's no... There's no desire for that. Nobody's interested in that stuff. It, you know, it doesn't really occur anymore. And as you say, there has been this gradual deletion of history and now also art and music and literature from standard elementary and high school education and also higher education. I know somebody in some very posh places up and down the East Coast. And, um, you know, unless those young men and women continue their own self-directed education outside of university they go into the world with no context no perspective and no substantial knowledge no sense of history and without a sense of history you don't have a sense of purpose you really don't and the shockingly low quality of what are considered to be these excellent universities and colleges is just laughable i mean they teach people to just be normal. That's what it's all about. You know, try going for a job interview, right? For a normal, good office job, a good job with, with big pay, responsibilities and prospects. Try going for that interview and being an individual, being you. You won't get the job. They don't want open, honest, questioning, truthful, creative, playful, principled, balanced men and women. What they want is hard-working, professional slaves, so the whole point of the education system, again, we've misconceived it. It isn't to educate people. That's the last thing it does. It prepares people for reproduction and the workplace. That's what college is for. If you want to spend $100,000 to do that, then I think you're crazy. I think, as Frank Zappa once said, <laughs> get out as fast as you can and educate yourself. <laughs> What a great mind he was. You know, I always say that if you don't know your history, you don't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know where you're going. And I think that's the purpose. If you are able to find out who you are and, and know your true history, maybe that would tap into the matrix and that would basically hack the system. But you mentioned the Second Amendment, and I, I don't mean to, to talk too much about this because I know it's a very sensitive topic yeah everybody nope. starts everybody starts getting very upset when they say i used to like you mel neil i used to like you but now you're a gun-toting lunatic and i'm never listening to you again you know so it does upset people if if they don't pause for a moment so we, we do have to choose our words but you're right to do so so yeah please bring it up let's ask another question let's look at it again absolutely and you and i discussed that over dinner a few weeks ago you know, people that know you all of a sudden criticize you. I received so much hate mail from people who said to me, Mel, you're always talking about leaving a best, the best world for the children. And yes, I do. 
and I am a life-loving person. At the same time, I know that I cannot depend on the government for protection, for my safety, for my substance. So why is it that this whole culture of entitlement, this whole culture of dependency on the government to be there when you need them, when time and time again, history proves otherwise? Again, folks, I'm not here toting a rifle trying to kill people. I just want to have the right to protect my loved ones and myself and my property in the event that the government is not there to protect me, which is 99.9% of the time. What has been your experience, Neil? Well, I was very much influenced by observing the actions of a very brave man called Tim Muller, uh, who is a sheriff in Lynn County in Oregon, south of me. And he essentially said that he took an oath as sheriff, as an elected sheriff, he took an oath to preserve the Constitution and to look after the safety and well-being of the people of his county. He has a, an obligation that he happily, and look, in the guy, look at the guy's face and he means it, he happily accepts it. To then be told that he might be asked to um, purposefully deconstruct and diminish and dismantle that Constitution by the present administration, he said is unacceptable and he will not do that. And as you know, a number of sheriffs across America have said, this isn't about politics. It's not about right wing and left wing, Republican and Democrat. This is about the country and about its foundation as people who left Europe and said, we don't want to be in a hierarchy. We don't want to be in a feudal system. We don't want to do monarchy. Let's do it ourselves. Let's see if we can govern ourselves. And it's been quite successful in my view that studying my American history which I have uh, initially taken up for my own edification and my own knowledge and study and also as I uh, proceed down the path of citizenship I have to ask uh, I have to answer rather questions uh, by the immigration services <laughs> so they're going to ask me a bunch of questions I mean as a permanent resident I don't need to do that but um, it's been an interesting exercise because you realize how recent the historical timeline is here and you realize how fragile it is and how it needs to be protected because at any time a sort of cabal of crooks could come in which I mean who would have thought the Obama administration would be as bad as Bush, if not worse. Who would have imagined that? That is really quite a stretch. And yet, every day, as time goes by, I see the crookedness in that man's eyes, and I see the decrepitude in his soul. And I feel sorry for him as a man, as a human being, and his family. I feel sorry for him. I pity him. But as um, as a an ambassador for the United States... And as an elected official, I think we have to ask some serious questions about that. And he is dedicated to an old socialist impulse to remove um, authority from the citizenship. And the best way to do that, as I can attest to from having seen that operate from the 1970s onwards to 2010 in Britain, the best way to do that is to remove the right of the people to uh, defend themselves. That's what it's all about. Nobody wants to attack. Human beings do not want to attack each other. Nobody wants to do that. 
nobody lives like that. Nobody has that desire in their heart. But to defend ourselves, you know, you you look at a, a deer defending its young and it suddenly mm-hmm. turns from this serene, graceful creature into this huge, fierce demon because its young is its young, its family is its family. And nobody ought to mess with that. And you will be reminded of that if you ever go near a young book, you know. So it's it's just like that for me. It's like I am the most peaceful, uh, spiritual, life-loving, creative, warm, soft person you would ever meet. And everybody is like, you know, always impressed with that because I make it a very special part of my life to not always be mind-led, but to be heart centered as well to understand connection and love and compassion and selflessness to be in service and that part of my life has shown me the importance of the second amendment it is my heart that has led me to the importance of the second amendment not my mind no fear at all not a shred of it i don't do that but what i do do is say the truth even when it's very um inescapably controversial and even when like you I get hate mail from people who are disgusted with me and think I should be silenced you know because of these things and that is just disappointing to see people so conditioned and when and as a rule of thumb whenever you get an emotive response from somebody like that you are seeing their own boundaries of knowledge so emotions always indicate your own boundaries of awareness and with this particular issue with the second amendment you soon see them in people particularly people who were new agers quite frankly particularly people who uh, are peace loving campaign for nuclear disarmament greenpeace types you know great good work excellent we love what you're doing but do not politicize truth because truth doesn't require defending it is completely and utterly ineffable and inviolable i always say don't confuse kindness with weakness if people see that you're a kind-hearted good person sometimes you're taken advantage of but that's when the whole don't confuse kindness with weakness Mm -hmm. comes along but you can't cure ignorance with knowledge but you cannot cure stupidity so when somebody comes to me and say and says to me well this will never, will never happen in the United States. This will never happen in the UK. Please, why is it? Is it that they, are they being stupid or just ignorant, Neil? Well, stupidity is a choice. Intelligence is a choice. I absolutely Mm. believe that. And I've observed it throughout my life with people. If you're stupid, you've chosen stupidity as a defense mechanism against truth. Because truth initially will bring pain truth will bring pain if you've been living in shadow and so people will do anything anything to avoid that pain so stupidity is very easy to maintain um in psychology they call it complex ignorance which is a kind of ignorance that one conjures up and maintains just like you'd maintain your basement or your kitchen or you know uh, an inventory of some description it needs maintaining it needs looking after restocking rearticulating bolstering defending etc etc and that complex ignorance is a strategy for dealing with a world that requires growth because people who live in ignorance are strategizing against growth all the time subconsciously 
very often, but they don't want to change. They want to keep a dream of a tradition of yesteryear as their goal for a better society. And I challenge anybody to give me a 10-year span of any period in history where everything was utterly excellent. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You have to make it. And the best time to do that is today because we have more knowledge. We have more spiritual and psychological and philosophical awareness. We have more potential for doing that today than ever before. So although we are at optimal shadow levels in this bizarre, delusional theater of life, which is a game at a very high level, we should never forget that. We, know, we don't need to worry too much about it. But when you're in the thick of it, when you're up to your neck in it and you are flesh and blood, it feels very real because it is. It has a reality. But at the end of the day, that optimal shadow is the darkest before the dawn. So the new energies that are coming in, the new people who are being born, the new young men and women that I meet in the teens and 20s, who are utterly awesome, astounding human beings who put me to shame in terms of their emotional intelligence and their penetration of intellect and of humor and of humanity. Those people are the living embodiment of what the control system is fighting hard to keep on the sidelines, but they can't do anything about it. They're coming in. They are coming in, and we are just uh, safeguarding that transition point. There's nothing else we need to do than keep speaking the truth. And I think that's why the powers that want to be are upping the ante with our air, with our food, with our water, because they know that this new generation, as you have, I have also spoken with many of them. And I feel satisfied to know that these people will be here in the future. But we have to take a one and only intermission. But before we take the break, every week, folks, I try to make a graphic which is what we put on the website to more or less encapsulate what we're discussing on each show. And in this graphic, I added, if you look at the graphic, you see a person trying to, to grab a key from what looks to be the Pope, but it's an individual that has a keyhole right in the center, and the key is the Pope trying to take it away from us. But we needed to add also, and I don't know how to put a graphic of what, what embodies science, but it seems that there are two sources. There's organized religion, or science, it seems to be the two bastions of knowledge that we are always told to go there in order to find answers when the answer actually lies within you. And I think the biggest conspiracy of all is that they're trying to steal the key that opens whatever's within you. And of course, changing reality with will. Tell us once again, Neil, how to buy your book, The Unfoldment, learn more about your work. Sure, thank you. Yeah, uh, neilkramer.com. You can go there and find out all about me. My book, The Unfoldment, is uh, in all good bookstores and online bookstores and bricks and mortar bookstores too. And you can also download recordings of my workshops. You can purchase audiobooks and you can listen to interviews, read essays, watch a few videos, and so on and so forth. So, neilkramer.com. And folks, don't go anywhere. We have so much more to discuss with philosopher, teacher, permanent fixture of this program, Neil Kramer. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this very important interview with Neil Kramer. To listen to segment two, head on over to our website at veritasradio.com if you're not already there, and subscribe. You'll receive your login immediately. 
And tonight, I'd like to share a song from a very young and talented Egyptian-American artist. Her name is Apnea. I love her music and her voice. She writes all her songs and plays the guitar and the violin. Even though we are in the 21st century, Apnea has been threatened and told to burn in hell for all eternity because of her lyrics. At the height of Islam, there was diversity of opinion, which is like in today. Amnea celebrates female empowerment and the beauty of womanhood in all forms. And that is why I have chosen her song as tonight's bumper music. The song you're about to hear goes hand in hand with tonight's interview. A big congratulations to Amnea for your bravery and talent. We wish you a lot of success and may your message ripple worldwide. Enjoy. Cover your face before it poisons all our souls. Cover your mouth before it tells us something we don't know. Cover your body for your skin incinerates. The will of weakened men who just might lose their faith. Our heads are full of colored sand. So why is it that we should have?
This is Sonia Barrett, and you are listening to The Veritas Radio Show. Mm-hmm. 